Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. I am your host, Dr. Grace Mansa-Owusu. This episode actually was recorded in July 2020, but you're hearing it now in December 2020. And the special guest that we have on this episode of the podcast is somebody that I studied with when I did my master's degree in 2007-2008 at the University of Nottingham. And the guest's name is Bhairavi Prakash. And Bhairavi is... A lot of things. One of them is an entrepreneur. She runs her own business and organisation specialising in mental health in India. She's also an Amani Institute Social Innovation Management Fellow. And I would call her a social entrepreneur along with a well-being specialist. And her story is really interesting of how she took her studies and her knowledge from both undergraduate where she studied in India and her postgraduate course that she did at the University of Nottingham, which was an MSc in work in organisational psychology and how she's pivoted and adapted that for the Indian market and made it something commercially viable. So stay tuned to listen to how Bhairavi Prakash has turned and crafted her career to be something that is quite fantastic. Hi, I'm Bhairavi Prakash. I'm a psychologist. I'm the founder of the Mitra Trust in India. And I'm an Amani Social Innovation Management Fellow as well. Thank you so much for joining this call. But um, this is a really great time to talk. What we're trying to do here is just learn a bit more about Bee's role, her educational background, and how she came to even study psychology in the first place. But the first thing I'm going to ask mm-hmm. is, yeah, what, how did you come to be where you are now? That's, that's deep. It's <laughs> a really big question. <laughs> Apologies. I, was I love how we it. just start with like, yeah. <laughs> Why do you do what you do? <laughs> I mean, looking back now, it all seems to like connect beautifully and make so much sense. Um, but it wasn't always so. I started studying psychology as part of high school in India. I'm from, I'm from Chennai. And um, in the 11th and 12th grade, I had an option to do psychology and sociology. And I was really excited about it. And I think I was maybe the second batch uh, in my school to be offered that. Um, okay. So we were really lucky, early adapters um, into that. And then I, as I did that, I got super excited. I started doing different kinds of internships just to mm-hmm. understand uh, what I wanted to do further. And I don't know if when you just think back to high school and college, just that pressure of the future was so high. I can't imagine living like that now. Yeah. But at that time, it was always, what am I going to do? What am I going to become? And uh, very few people were actually thinking about studying psychology. Yeah. Most of my friends were doing like different things. So mm-hmm. um, I, I went ahead. Um, it was nice to have a group. So pretty much like half my class joined the same college that I did Brilliant. for undergrad. And it was so much fun. Again, um, the, the college, it's called a Women's Christian College in Chennai. Um, yeah. Really old really good psychology program like in Mm -hmm. terms of the basics that undergrad program and again as I was studying there I started thinking about what do I want to do what do I want to do started doing a few internships Mm -hmm. and during the process I realized that a I didn't like one-on-one therapy slash counseling Um, I I wasn't a fan of assessments and that kind of work I didn't want to be a teacher and at that time it's really easy to list out all the things you don't want to do <laughs> yeah. uh, when you start to think okay so now what do I want to do yeah. I think I just looked at whatever opportunities I had available to me 
Mm-hmm. And um, there was this professor of mine who was doing her PhD at that time. And she said, do you want to help me with this? And I started helping her. And it was a life skills program that she mm-hmm. was building for schools. Wow. And these were typically like government-aided schools. And yeah. so I started helping her with that. And I really liked that. I realized that I liked engaging with groups. Mm-hmm. You know, just the facilitation of it all was a lot of fun. Um, and I was telling her about all the things I didn't want to do. And she said, oh, have you heard of like work psychology? I think you'll oh, be great wow. at it. And I started looking for programs. And then that's how I met you, Grace. Yeah. So I ended up at, <laughs> I ended up at Nottingham. And uh, I did the work in organizational psychology program. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, while I was there, my whole thing with internships continued. So mm. um, during the summer when we had a, what was that, the research period that we needed to do yeah. for our thesis. So it was after uh, the taught section, the, the, the research yeah. section, that stressful, yeah. stressful time. Yeah. Yeah. So guess what I did? I was like, hey, not only am I going to do my research, but I'm also going to go to London and get an internship. So I was working with um, the HR business partners there of, of a really large drinks company called Diageo. So yes. I started to spend my time between Nottingham and London, going back and forth. And I fell in love with work life, with the culture there, mm. learning about um, how whatever, because I felt very young in our program. Um, there were people who had yeah. years of work experience who, was, who were there with us. Mm-hmm. And there were very few of us who had come straight from college. I felt like we were a minority of sorts. Because I, I do agree. With, yeah, yeah, tons of work experience. Yeah. And so even with the discussions and stuff in class, I felt like it was always very theoretical knowledge for me. While yeah. they'd come in with like real case studies and real world examples, and they'd talk about how they were applying what they'd studied for me, which was just theory. But mm. for them, they, they'd already started applying at work. Um, yeah. So I then got a chance to do that. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But around that time, I mean, the world was quite uncertain similar yeah. to now in, in, in that sense. I did have a three-year work-study permit, but mm. it didn't make sense to stay back because there were no jobs. Um, and although, unless I wanted to go into like contract workforce and there were yeah. also no jobs, if you want part of the EU sort of consortium, then yeah. you were kind of considered last. There was just a lot of different things to think about and it's mm. really expensive mm-hmm. um, to continue being there without money and things like that. So I decided Absolutely. to come back to India. And when I did that, it was incredible because I just saw the gap in mm-hmm. terms of how I had come from a space where I loved the kind of work that I was doing yeah. to being asked questions like, oh, but what does psychology have to yeah. do with HR? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, man, I can't believe I have to not even start from zero, but like negative and build up. And that was really heartbreaking. It was a difficult few years. I did mm. find a fantastic organization. Mm-hmm. And they were working with both coaching and leadership at that time. So mm-hmm. they were like a boutique HR consulting firm. And I loved working with them. I seeing the kind of, just that approach to everything because they understood that in India, especially HR had this basis of economics, policy, psychology, sociology, right. that, you know, that that was the foundation of it. And they always went into project with this kind of action research mindset. Brilliant. So I learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I learned a lot from just like, how do you engage with stakeholders? Mm-hmm. How do you figure out who are the key players within an organization? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you get the buy-in to whatever we've been engaged with to consult on, right? Yes. And that gave me an op- opportunity to talk to really large leaders of businesses and just be like, 
hey, what are you like, what are you worried about with your people? Because yes. at that time, I had decided that I was going to set up like a chain of stress clinics. That, that was <laughs> going to be the answer to like India's problems. So I'd always be asking them, you know, so what, what does stress mean? Because I'd come from the UK, but at that time, if you remember, we were trying yeah. to like figure out the pound value to stress. So yes. whether it was with um, any of the... Did you remember that risk assessment thing? I was just did? thinking about it. It was the HR, yeah, Health yeah. and Safety Executive Stress Risk yeah, Assessment exactly, course. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was just like, so, so when I talk about things like that in India, people just be like, what, like what? So I had to just figure out different ways and language to mm. communicate things like that. And I wanted to put the things that I'd learned and those tools and frameworks into action there. Yeah. And this is how I did it. So I keep asking uh, all these really large leaders, what does it mean? And what do you think impacts people? And how do you go about it? And I kind of uh, came up with this white paper around it and circulated Amazing. it in the office. Yeah. And um, the principal consultant got so pumped. He was like, okay, let's create a program around this. And we basically came up with like five uh, levels of help within an organization. You've got like coaching therapy at the top and then you've got like at the bottom just peer counseling and barefoot counseling and how that helps. Yeah. We created that. We ended up like, I think one of the clients won a HR award for it based on the work that we've done for them. That was just really fulfilling. But at the same time, I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I was like, there's something really missing and Mm -hmm. I couldn't figure out what it was. Mm -hmm. So around that time, I ended up joining a company that uh, was a large healthcare company, Mm -hmm. but they were just setting up a behavioral health unit. Okay. And I went on to kind of like head that health unit as an intrapreneur. And then I had like the ability and the options to just set my own path mm-hmm. and do whatever I wanted to. So if I wanted to set up those stress clinics, I could, but instead right. I chose to do like school mental health. And I okay. really wanted to look at schools in India as a community in need and mm-hmm. what can we do. And these aren't government schools. These aren't schools that rely on funding. These are like, Schools where in India you'd have your middle class, upper middle class kids right. going chauffeur driven, dropped, picked up, whatever. Right. Uh, but the stigma there is with mm-hmm. mental health was so high. Mm-hmm. So what do we do with them? How do we engage them? And that was really exciting work. And we ended up then working with colleges as well and setting up peer counseling and things like that there. Wow. And around that time, I realized the reason um, I wanted to do this kind of work was because when I was in school, I had a friend who was not okay and mm. it was really hard to support her and be her friend yeah um and and when i was in nottingham on uh, around that time I, I got a call to say that she'd taken her own life and i was like what do we do like and, and i didn't realize that that's what kept me unfulfilled with like doing all this org work even though i was loving it and i was clearly yeah. very good at it yeah. I, I didn't have, I, I didn't know how to kind of articulate that this is what it was. Right. So now it sounds really easy. It sounds like all the dots have connected. But at that time, I just couldn't understand why I wasn't mm-hmm. happy or excited working here. Mm-hmm. Like external recognition was great. Uh, the organization that I was working for, they were really happy with what I was doing, but something yeah. just wasn't right. So um, then when I got to do this kind of work, it, it was really exciting. Honestly, the first of its kind program in India. Mm-hmm. And again, because if it, were, it was for these for-profit schools, we could build a for-profit model around it. So it's still social impact. But, and it's been maybe six, seven years and those programs still continue in the schools that I set it up for. It's become part of their culture. It's kind of ingrained in them. And it's only Amazing. grown since then. So even though I'm not there anymore, 
I have my own organization. It's still continuing and it's still growing. One thing I found really interesting was how you were doing all this really interesting like project work. So like if we go back to some of your internships, especially in your undergrad days, what kinds of projects? So you said you worked with your kind of lecturer on that project mm -hmm. to do with schools. What other internships did you have and how did you acquire them? So a, a lot of the internships that I got were just by reaching out to people and saying right. what I wanted to do. Okay. Um, and again, at that time, there weren't too many people, I think, reaching out to anybody. So they were like, oh, my God, you want to do what I want to do? Like, come on over. Okay. <laughs> and um, so I had a internship with this neuropsychiatrist at, at this really large hospital chain in India. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I realized that I didn't want to do assessments. That's where I realized right. that for sure one-on-one -on -one counseling is it. And, and I kept extending my internship with her because I wanted to make like 100% sure. Yeah. Like that it's not just because I was bored or whatever. Like I'd, I'd be there through the day um, and I'd just be like, oh God, these assessments are bothering. Like, but what <laughs> I found really interesting was the skills that she had because this okay. private hospital would have people come in from across the country speaking different languages okay. and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And she was okay. able to connect with each one of them. She had learned through the years to ask the questions that she needed to in, the, in some of those different languages. And yeah. again, with different levels of literacy, she had learned how to engage with that. So those are the skills that I took from the internship rather than learning how to do any sort of assessment. Absolutely. I think that's a really key point. And when I speak to graduates, because my role at the moment is working with graduates on graduate development programs, as well as when people reach out to me, one of the main things I get is like, you might not like it right now. It might not ultimately be what you want to do. But the skills that you need to, or that you will learn are invaluable. And it's not all about, it's not a literal skills. Like you didn't take on board the assessment skills because that's not something you were interested in going down. But it's, again, the communication. Um, it could be contact. It could be just learning about organisations and environments and why they, you might not like them. Sometimes it's not the job, it's the organisation and you can't figure out why. It could be just the culture or the way people are treated in an organization don't like. So I think that's a really good lesson wherever you find yourself. Just try and find the best way that you can navigate for that period of time, however long it should be. And then you can use that to leverage yourself for something else. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's with your internships. And then with the roles that you were doing um, when you came back to India and you talked about like that cultural piece of, the stuff that you'd learned in the UK and then trying to like implement it in a different culture, a different context, different industries. How did you find that? And it sounds like you really found a brilliant way of being able to implement and make people's work lives better. So yeah, tell me more about that. What I tried to do, especially because I loved uh, at that point in time, I thought that framework that the HSE gave us was just like, path breaking <laughs> and um, so I, I looked at what they'd done and how they'd gotten there and what was also really interesting was a lot of professors at that point were consulting with the organization yeah so I'd have conversations with them to figure out what what does it look like like what's the kind of mm -hmm. thing you do with these organizations um, so I learned the approaches mm -hmm. that they kind of used to come up with this framework mm -hmm. and that for me was really exciting 
Uh, and that's what I think I ended up using again. So when you look at that framework, it was basically about looking at risk factors, yeah. which is what I tried to do as I was speaking with these leaders to figure out like, what are the pain points when mm-hmm. it comes to employees? Yes, you want them to be super productive. So let's, let's leave that. You want everybody to make money and meet all these goals. Let's leave that. What are the pain points that you have with them? And, yeah. and by using language, I was able to connect in a way that they needed to hear rather than what I needed. So understanding that kind of language and switching around to knowing what I wanted to hear from them and then yeah. using their language to kind of elicit that response. That was really important. That sounds like a little bit of counselling skills there. <laughs> counselling and coaching. <laughs> Excellent. So I think in an organisational setting, doing that and adapting your knowledge is really, really great skill, which sounds like you have quite naturally. For other people, it might be something that they learn. I think that's a really interesting point. And let's talk about what you're doing at the moment. So like, what is your current role? Tell me more about your organisation. So I founded uh, Mitra, which means trend in Sanskrit, literally. So Mitra Trust in 2018. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to provide mental health resources, information, and tools in a way that a trusted friend would. I went through, during this entire sort of work life, early 20s were like super tumultuous. Being back in India, not enjoying that, trying to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, having this kind of work ethic where nothing that I ever did was enough because mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to be, to be doing more. So understanding all of that for me was really hard and finding resources to help. Everything was very medical. It was, it was very, the one people with lived experiences talking, it was always professionals talking. Right. When I kind of understood what I had gone through, when I had labels, when I could name it, when I could theme it, when I could kind of learn from all the experiences that I had, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, now not only am I qualified, I also have these lived experiences that I've gone through. Mm-hmm. When I figured out these tools, I figured out language, um, let's help others get to that. So we started off with something so simple called what to mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd find myself in that situation all the time. There'd be somebody, you know, very difficult conversations. I'd mm-hmm. end up saying the most horrific things. And then later on, I'd be like, man, I just wish I could have, you know, been more <laughs> pleasant. I could have like said something that was way more empathetic. That mm-hmm. wasn't judgmental. That wasn't so harsh. Um, I wish I was just listening to them and being supportive. Mm-hmm. So the series started off with that. So it started off first with what to say if somebody's, you know, thinking of taking their own life with suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. And we launched that on like uh, World Suicide Prevention Day. Okay. And to date, um, we've done it across different topics. So we've got like everything from miscarriages to okay. um, cheating spouses, Brilliant. to anxiety, depression, yeah. <laughs> grief, sexual assault, like really hard conversations. Mm. Um, and we keep asking the community on Instagram, like, what would you like help with? Like, what are the difficult conversations that uh, you're having? What would you like to feel supported with? So that's been really, um, and that's the kind of work that we do. We, one, we provide people with safe spaces okay. where they can come in, they can interact with different kinds of tools that we have, mm-hmm. where they can use that to then, you know, reflect, um, express themselves, and ultimately just feel like connected. Because um, usually when you're going through something, you feel like you're the only person going through it and yeah. nobody's really going to understand you. Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of just bring these bunch of people. So me included, it's not feeling okay. Yeah. And everything is with, with, with our organization, we call it the mayor because you're just mayor. You're not feeling okay. <laughs> so if you're not overwhelmed with emotion or if you're not feeling anything at all and you're totally disconnected, it's just yeah. like a really simple way to say 
they're just not feeling up here. So how do people interact with those? Are they like packs, like physical, this, like what, what kinds of tools are they? So one is online. Okay. So you have it. So, so you've got it in, in a digital sort of platform. Okay. Um, so they're available on Instagram, for instance. So what they say is, please, please put anybody to engage with the news. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got an actual physical kit that we've created called the Mare Kit Riding Out Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a physical product and it's available only in India at this point. And I feel uh, so good to say that because usually uh, it's the other way around. There are things true. available everywhere else in the world and you'd be like, ah, oh, if only we could get it. <laughs> it feels good to like have something that's, you know. And it's so yeah, funny because we have people writing in from different parts of the world saying, how do we get? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I can't say, how do we get? And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I can't. One, like, legally we're not allowed to accept any money from outside. And two, like, shipping costs are so expensive. Okay. So, so yes, it's a physical kit. And uh, what it does, it, it, it explains the law to you. It explains what you're going through and how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you tools to then kind of engage with that and write it out. So, um, yeah, that's a physical product. And then we've got, um, let's discuss the mail sessions that we do. Mm-hmm. which is online. Um, it, it's almost like a peer facility to support groups of people just for right. depression and whatever else in mm-hmm. life at this point. A um, bunch of us get together and we use elements from the market to kind of, again, understand what we're going through, help us okay. share, express, all of that, and then also have tools from that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a really cool session that we started recently uh, with COVID, which is called um, Doodles for the Mess. And that's mm-hmm. facilitated by Advaita and they're really excellent sessions amazing um because you're physically learning how to like doodle uh, oh wow get it out of your system i feel like i do that anyway but like i just yeah. start drawing scribbling down so maybe it sounds like i need to go on this as well <laughs> that that all sounds really great so like do you get interest from organizations as well asking you to come in and do workshops as well yeah so, and again, because of my background working um, with organizations, I have a consulting business that I was doing for about four or five years. Right. Um, and again, through that, I work with where um, we provide mental health information. We have okay. these really cool engaging comic strips where we just broken down, based um, mm-hmm. We do different kinds of webinars, open, open house sessions. Again, just making mental health really engageable, uh, engaging and accessible. Um, that's what we're trying to do. I just sound. That's a new word. I feel like that's a new word. I'm going to keep that in because I yeah. like that word. But I just think that what you're doing is so interesting. And even in the UK, I don't. I mean, there's different things that are around, but I can't think of anything similar. So it's very innovative what you did. You saw kind of like a gap in the market, and you've really gone out there twice to try and fulfil the mission that you have your internal mission and your drivers i think when we talk about careers and matching yeah. people to roles really finding your passion and interest as well with the tools that you have we can acquire and matching them together i think you're doing that really well so keep it keep going it's exciting i want to know more <laughs> what do you think some of the skills you've developed are so like what are the things that you will continue to develop and what do you think you need for the kind of role that you have there are a bunch of things but i honestly think that consulting and having access to being in an environment like that gives mm. me the ability to learn those skills because you learn on the job 
yeah. it's really important to just be able to understand because each new organization that we went to each new industry that we were exposed to yeah. so many new things to understand and learn mm-hmm. so one is you know just just being able to learn on the job look at things again from their perspective and what they want to hear and how you kind of communicate that uh, which i feel a lot of especially in india a lot of hr people might not necessarily be doing they'd love to speak their language Yeah. but the ones that are really good know what the business wants and knows you know how to engage with the business to get them what they need absolutely um and 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 yeah so just just in terms of like it's so weird to say critical thinking or <laughs> innovation because these are such big words yeah. but to just kind of break it down to think about you know what are the problems that are there mm-hmm. and why do you think that your plan your idea your project uh your campaign whatever it is is going to help with that um, yeah. to solve for those pain points and those pain points could be things that you're feeling yourself or people in the organization have come and told you mm-hmm. um that they're feeling um mm-hmm. so find different ways to just understand what those pain points are and kind of solve to that yeah so talking to people asking people the questions with the solutions that you're it's different because people probably sometimes go in with their package and then try to yeah. retrospectively fit it to the organization mm-hmm. but what you're talking about is as a consultant you're not going to know all the answers and it might not fit perfectly yeah. with what the products you have so being mm-hmm. open minded is a really important skill yeah. and also like be really um you know your foundation you know the things that you can do mm-hmm. so things aren't fitting exactly like it's really easy to build something that has like these elements that can be broken down and you can kind of pick and choose and use these different kind of building blocks to finish it off so if, as long as your foundation is clear and you mm-hmm. know that these are the building blocks that you need that's really really helpful but yeah. that's helpful for somebody like me that's going to do mm-hmm. and it's just about understanding what an organization needs to come up with a campaign or this or that but again for my context that's super important and just Maybe. understanding um there's this thing that i learned at amani called prototyping and that was so interesting to me and that's what a lot of these design thinkers and researchers use mm-hmm. where they just do a really quick cheap easy uh fix just to see if that works right. and then after that spend money in kind of building on it more so what is that kind of prototype look like for you and whatever mm-hmm. service you're offering or whatever product that you're building so even with the market that was one of the things that we did I spent less than 10 pounds on creating a prototype. Right. Um and at then Bangalore I'd show it to different people that were like my target audience, my users, I'd get feedback from them and then I created a crowdfunding campaign around it and mm-hmm. and got money from a working prototype where we had solid feedback from people saying we'd like your money and this is how we're going to use it for mm-hmm. and that helped us kind of produce kits. That so sounds like a bit of a agile not that i know much about agile so i don't want to show myself here but it sounds like a, a very like i'm just going to nod my head and be like this <laughs> name the skills <laughs> it's like if anyone's listening and they know what agile is you know what i'll mean it's with the the prototyping and the testing and then the going back and constantly reviewing what you're doing i think that's really good for any entrepreneur like making sure that your products and your services are fit for purpose but not just going in like as a one size fits all you're constantly reviewing mm-hmm. to make sure that actually works in that context and then you move on and you do the same thing yeah. and you can also do this when you're working within an organization right as yeah. an intrapreneur it's the same set of skills that you can use mm. 
talk about entrepreneurship because I came across the term probably about three years ago. Can you tell me a bit more about what that means and what that means to you? So for me, um, I was really young. I was 23, 24 and I was heading a business unit. Mm -hmm. Um, I had full responsibility for everything from the kind of people I hired to what kind of um, programs I wanted to run. So going ahead and then building that out to going and getting the clients and selling it, and everything. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was an intrapreneur because I was doing it all within an organization. So I had like a really senior business person with, I don't even know how many years of experience Mm -hmm. um, who was handling like the amount of money that we bring in from schools and the amount of money, like the healthcare. I I think they probably made that amount of money in like a, in like one hour, <laughs> what I'd probably be like, this is a yearly like annual contract that I've just signed with the school. Um, but they were so supportive because they saw somebody who was young, who was mm. really excited and, and schools were really excited as well. And the school yeah. saw the change. Um, mm. So being an entrepreneur, it's all this, pretty much all the skills you'll need uh, to be an entrepreneur because you are technically getting funding yeah. Uh, from within the company in itself you're pulling in resources from different places yeah you're building teams you're figuring out what kind of services or what kind of products to create mm-hmm. um, you're keeping people engaged and ultimately like the responsibility ends with you so you could have different division heads working under you or whatever but yeah at the end of the day you are responsible for whatever happens really interesting so it's being given you're kind of given a safety net because you're working in an organization, but at the end of the day, you still need to come up with the ideas, you need to plan, you need to liaise, you need to win business. So yeah. it's kind of the best of both worlds if that's what you want to do. So you're in a, an entrepreneur. Yes, yeah. Still taking risks. So yeah, it is the best of both worlds. Because again, at the end of the day, you're still getting a steady wage package, <laughs> which uh, as an entrepreneur is not always the case. So I just wanted to ask, has your organisation been affected at all by COVID? What was like a day, a typical day like before COVID and what is it like now? Everything that we offered was face to face. Right. Um, so the first thing, and I felt like we had just about, probably just starting on our second year, mm-hmm. not even second year. There was a little bit of stability that had come in, finding our footing. Things were seeming to look up. There was a little bit of stability that had come in. I felt like as a founder, I could finally like articulate my vision. I had the words for it. We were kind of delivering on it. Like a lot of the hard work of setting the foundation had been done. Yeah. Um, And then with COVID, like it was just so uncertain. I had no idea where funding was going to come from. Even with the corporate work doing, um, everything was just frozen. A lot of my workshops got canceled. So in India, um, we kind of started recognizing that something was up in February and um, March was when we had like mid-March was when we had our first lockdown so from February kind of alarm rings started uh, alarm bells started ringing because um, all the corporate work is pretty much frozen to reschedule to completely cancelled so and then that's that's the cash crunch that then comes in so given the fact that we're a not-for-profit I also rely a lot on funding and again organizations had like frozen CSR nobody knew where spending was going to come from Mm -hmm. Um, philanthropy at that point in time was again very focused on a humanitarian crisis that was going on in India. We had like right. migrants um, that were traveling like tens and thousands of kilometers. Just so basic necessities became important. So food, shelter, food, shelter, food, shelter. Oh. And then just trying to, from a medical perspective, trying to get the PPE kits and things yeah. like that. Honestly, wasn't sure where we fit into all of that. What mm-hmm. was in my control was the ability to 
try and keep the virtual space as warm as our face-to-face sessions. Um, Trying to translate whatever we did online. And maybe there were some things that couldn't be translated. So then trying to figure out where are people going to come from? How are they going to find you? What are are they going to engage with? Because um, one, we didn't want to charge anybody during this time. Mm -hmm. Simply because, I mean, everybody's in a financial crunch. So I didn't think it was fair to be charging people. And mental health in India is very, very expensive. Right. Um, And it's it's an out-of-pocket expense. I didn't want to charge people. And keeping, again, in mind. So I didn't even want to do nominal fees because it wouldn't make a dent to... us and our needs at the same time you know there might be people who really need it who might not be able to access it because even whatever is nominal for them at that point in time was a lot because they've just lost their jobs or whatever else it was hard it was just doing a lot of work and constantly talking about it Mm. so I started to post on LinkedIn I started to post on Facebook uh, which I I wouldn't usually do, but uh, there's a larger network of people there, yeah. people that I wouldn't have spoken to for some time who might not know about my work. I reached out to places that I had already asked for funding that had said no to me before uh, and okay. just kind of kept going with it. And then finally before uh, and had basically said, you know, the CSR was full, but because of COVID, they started releasing extra funds right. and they funded all sorts of different projects. And we were one of them. So we were then able to be like an essential service during the time because yeah. you know um we were sorted financially we were like okay fine we're not going to lose out on everything and therefore that gave us sort of the that security to be able to then hold space for others because if you don't have that yourself there's no yeah. way you're going to be able to offer that for others that sounds like you adapted so well and what i'm hearing throughout what you're talking about is that adaptability and persistence of trying to find the money from somewhere to going back to the people that you contacted before even if they said no try again like what's the worst that can happen they don't have the money yeah. they don't have the money but if you don't try yeah. you're not going to know that and and also mm-hmm. maintaining those relationships with people so yeah I think that's a really good lesson in terms of business like just persevering wherever you can especially when you've got a product like yours which is so essential at any time but even more essential at a time like this where people feel so displaced and so everything is just so different so it can be extremely unsettling for for anybody I think that that's a really mm-hmm. great thing that you're doing so what advice would you give uh, a graduate or anybody that's coming to you asking how can they do more in this space how can they work in the space what advice would you give them Instagram just made that so simple and mm-hmm. they're speaking for themselves they don't have a brand manager you know they don't have any of them. because you get a sense of who they are you get a sense of what they do and mm-hmm. they're speaking for themselves they don't start connecting with them and see how you can engage with them what those communities it's just people who are really excited about their work so start following people who are really passionate about what they do mm-hmm. and start connecting with them and see how you can engage with them what those communities look like always 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 do untouch um, just yeah. figure out different ways, whether it's volunteering, if it's paid, if it's unpaid, if you can try mm. your best to get as much experience as you can mm-hmm. and try to monetize on things that, you know, might not be something that you want to work on. But yeah. today you might need that money. So it yeah. might need not be like your passion, but it might yeah. give you access to financial stability. So I have uh, this really incredible student who's been working with me for like the past like from when we started she's an engineering student and she's got a couple of years ahead of her but this girl is incredible she's understood so much about finances and about money and about side hustles 
And mm-hmm. again, I just feel like there's a huge generational gap because I couldn't imagine <laughs> doing the things that she did, like in addition to just getting her undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of things that she does. So she, she co-founded companies. Um, she consults for companies on social media. Wow. She's a financial investment guru. Like she's got her own YouTube channel. She's just hustling nonstop. Wow. And while doing all of this, she's starting a really difficult course. And I see it with high school kids who reach out to me saying they want internships and they want to figure out these things that I really like. And this is why I want to be a part of this. And you think we could work together for a few months. And, you know, they know about the work already. They know what, we, what I do. So they're able to come in and tell me, hey, these are the three things that you do that I really like. And this is why I want to be a part of this. And you think we could work together for a few months. Wow. Um, so just directly start reaching out to people. I can't imagine like even being at school and reaching out to all I think to be honest though it is a lot easier nowadays I feel like I'm an, an old lady but um, yeah. back in our day there was no social media so yeah. I mean yeah. when I was at school there wasn't so you couldn't just yeah. easily do that within writing a letter or writing an email which yeah. is not as accessible yeah. but I think they're really taking advantage yeah. of the tools that you have mm-hmm. reaching out to people online yeah. I do it Mm-hmm. And it's been really fruitful. I think using that persistency and looking in places that you might not necessarily think to is another tip there. One other thing I'm going to ask is, as we're wrapping up, where can people find you? So like you talked mm-hmm. about Mithra Trust, you spoke about any, a lot of other bits and pieces that you're doing. Just tell us where we can find you on Twitter or any other social media and share your website and things. Yeah, I, Instagram is the best. Okay. Um, it's just at Mithra Trust and we'll figure out how to put the spelling down there. But it's um, M-I-T-H-R-A-T-R-U-S-T at Mithra Trust on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And um, that's our website as well, mithratrust.com. And yeah, so in, Instagram's like honestly the best place to okay. get a sense of what we're doing, engage with the tools that I've kind of already spoken about. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, get a sense of the community that we have there as well. Thank you so much. It's been great having a chat. Um, it's been too long and good luck with everything you're doing. But thanks very much and have a great day. Thank you, Grace. And thank you for holding these conversations so that other people can hear from people who haven't necessarily taken the right sort of path in India, the right path and wrong path or something talking spoken about a lot right taking the right traditional path and yeah that's so cool and funky absolutely I think a lot of people have crafted their careers especially with psychology because it's not straightforward so finding people that are going off the beaten track I feel fascinated by I think everyone's trying to make something work but how can you take the tools to make find what you want to do and find mm-hmm. kind of uh, an alignment as well with what you want to do and what you already have well done and thanks very much thank you